Who's heard of a Sabbath? Hands up. Yes, who's heard of a daily office? Yes, probably through this, hopefully. Um, it was a new term to me, uh, the beginning of EHS, maybe for you too. But we are, that's the one to me that I was a little bit more, what, what is that thing? I know about the Sabbath, there's a lot of verses on it in the Bible, haven't heard of the daily office in the Bible. So we're going to look into that and what those words actually mean today. But what I do know about both of these things though is that I think they are two disciplines that are quite easy to dismiss in our life. And maybe as I continue to talk, some of you might even go, oh man, that is, that's really going to be hard in my life to, to structure into my life. I'm very busy, I've got a lot on, my lifestyle, my personality, it, that's just going to be really difficult. And I understand that. Uh, but what I want to say is that I think these disciplines are a little bit like stretching. You know how we stretch when we exercise? But a lot of us skip it because it's boring and we don't think it's really necessary. So we'll, we want to get straight to the good bit. You know, we want to get to the cardio that's going to make us fit out or the weights that are going to give us big muscles. That's what we want to aim for straight away. And if you're like me, sometimes the stretching part is the bit you go, oh, I've got other things to do. I'll, I'll just leave that. I'm not going to spend time. Or I forget. I come back for a run and I forget to stretch. But the next day, I feel it. So stretching, we know, is really important because it helps to prevent injury. It helps to reduce pain the next day. And it also helps to, uh, to extend to the longevity of our chosen exercise and our participation in that. Stretching is absolutely vital to our physical health. And if you take that principle and apply it to emotional health and spiritual health, then that's where the daily office and the Sabbath really fit in. They're too important to dismiss. So, the goal of emotionally healthy spirituality, as we've been talking about, is to integrate both emotional health and contemplative spirituality to bring a deep transformation in our lives. And we've been through a lot of different steps to get to this point. So we started the series talking about emotional unhealth and what that looks like. And then the last few weeks, we've talked about ways to start getting our emotional health or unhealth healthier. So we talked about knowing ourselves that we may know God. We've talked about going backwards to go forward. Uh, we've looked at journeying through the wall and what that might mean for each one of us. And then, of course, last week, it was uh, enlarging our soul through grief and loss. And today, we are moving into these very practical disciplines of discovering the rhythms of the daily office and the Sabbath. So that word rhythm is actually very important in this message, and I'll be referring back to it quite often. You know, we've been made as people, as humans, to be drawn to rhythm and to have rhythm in our lives. And I googled body rhythms uh, last night, and the word biorhythm came up as a medical term. And... It had a whole lot of stuff about it, but essentially our bodies, our physicalness is made up of rhythms and all forms of life on earth, including our bodies, respond rhythmically to the regular cycles of the sun, moon and the seasons. We have circadian rhythms, you might have heard of that, sleep cycles that are really important. We have heart rhythms and when those kind of rhythms go out of whack, our body, our physical body really has some serious, quite major issues. So rhythm is really important to us physically. And to demonstrate this, I'm gonna grab Josh Kedge. 
he's going to come up. He's one of our drummers here at Catalyst. And he's going to get up and play for us a rhythm on the drums. And as he does, I just want you to kind of sit in it and just think about what it is that you feel, what it is that your body starts to do or how you feel. Some of you, nothing. Totally rhythmically challenged, and that's okay. For some of you, you're worried that I'm going to crack out a dance, which is possible. A rap. I just would look so unco. Some of you, you're just starting to tap. You're sitting in it, starting to sway a little bit. You're thinking about the riff you could play. You're thinking about, my daughter will be thinking about the moves, the backward walkovers she could do to this rhythm. We react differently to rhythm, but a lot of us really respond well. We're drawn to it and we just start to move to it. Thank you, Josh. Give him a hand. Thank you, Josh, for helping me out with that. So rhythm. The culture in which we live knows very little about rhythm. In fact, the word 24-7, which is really a part of our vocab now, really only was initiated or created about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. We live in a 24-7 world nowadays. Things go from one thing to the next. Everybody's in a hurry, everybody's busy. We're all complaining about how busy we are, but we don't have a really great idea of how to change that. We're on this merry-go-round and we really don't know how to hop off. One of the big problems, I think, is that we're not really present with the now. We're not really aware of now. We're swallowed up by the culture in which we live and the demands that are placed on us through our culture. And I believe that this is one of the great and most effective schemes of the devil in having us to be excellent doers. Having us believe, because our culture tells us, that we will only find our worth in what we do that to stop, to stop doing, is actually you're being lazy. And there's plenty of things you could be doing, plenty of things the people around you are doing that you could be a better person if you did those things too. We compare ourselves with those around us and we continue to add things into our already overcrowded lives. I think the ability to multitask has become this amazing gift, I think particularly for women. Amazing gift when we see women who, or people who can multitask and we were kind of revere them and envy them and wish we could be like them and have their capacity. But I am starting to wonder if we are being very misled by that concept. So the issue is, how do I actually have a calm life? How do I have a centred life? How do I have a relaxed life that's oriented around God? You're not going to have a relaxed, restful, content life without God because we can't live a full life without a deep connection to our living God. You were created for that, that deep connection with God. He made you to experience his love for all eternity. That's why he came and died for us. But it's very difficult for us to really experience that love and grace when the devil has his hook in us by keeping us moving, keeping us doing. And so somehow we have to stop and pause and slow down to be with God on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I don't know about you, but I've been convinced over the years that 
holidays, I really came to this revelation that holidays were not going to solve my busyness problems. I would look, I love holidays and I love planning them. And so, you know, six months ahead, I'd know what we were going to do for a holiday and I'd run pretty hard, ready for this holiday, four months ahead, two months ahead, whatever it might be. But I was running really hard, really hoping that that two weeks that we had off would be enough to refresh me and and keep me going for the next six months until we had another holiday. And I don't know about you, but I found, what, three days back into work after a holiday? You feel like you've never had a holiday? You feel totally back into life and the busyness and the merry-go-round? So I really struggled with this and thought, you know, I just believe there has to be a way that I can be refreshed and renewed every day, day by day, week by week, so that I'm not always just holding on to the hope of this holiday that actually doesn't do enough for me anyway. So, you know, I've been on this journey of trying to slow down and stop for quite a while now. How do we bring rhythm into our lives in a culture that has no rhythm and when we're surrounded with people lacking a rhythm in their lives too? So today we are going to talk about two powerful spiritual disciplines that are deliberate attempts to structure our lives to slow down and pause and just be with God. And they've, they've absolutely helped me. It's a daily office and a Sabbath and they are real realities in my life and I've really had to work at them, but they give my life a rhythm. They're strong enough disciplines to help us to really slow down, calm our lives and stop. Because most of us, we're like this diagram. We have this massive activity going on in our lives. And, you know, that is life. Life is, you've got things to do. We've got shopping and laundry and washing and cleaning and going to work and exercising and picking up the kids and walking the dog and all the other things that encompass each one of our lives. And then over here, we try and squeeze God in a bit. You know, we have, hopefully, you know, a couple of daily devotions a week and Um, you know, maybe a prayer session, and some of us are better at these things than others. But ultimately, most of us have this massive activity going on and this small amount of contemplation or being with God. And this, as you can kind of see, creates this imbalance. It's not a balanced life. And imbalance causes us great stress. Most of us have experienced great stress. And most of the time, it's because of this imbalance. So the question really is, how do we go from that to that? How do we balance these two things? How do we balance the activity that is absolutely needed in our life but with a greater sense of contemplation and being with God and allowing him to permeate every aspect of our life? So we're going to explore these ancient disciplines or treasures of spirituality because Pretty much whatever family you were raised in, you've had things imprinted into you from your family. We've talked about that through this series. And our current Western culture also imprints things into us. Really, it's how can I go bigger, better and faster? How can I just do everything, more things at a faster pace? So to help us get off that merry-go-round, if you've got your Bibles, this week we're going to focus on Daniel in Babylon. So we're looking at Daniel 6. Verses 6 to 10. So these administrators and satraps... What is that? Does anyone know? If you do, come and tell me afterwards. I think it's one of the important people. These administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. 
the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. King Darius thought this was an awesome idea, so he did put, put the decree in writing. More people to bow down to him. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, this is important, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I think that's fascinating. So Daniel, at about the age of 17 to 20, was carried off from his home in Israel to Babylon by the Babylonian army. His people were wiped out by the pagan armies. Their temple was destroyed, Israel was levelled. And so Daniel finds himself in the University of Babylon. He's learning Babylonian thinking and ways of living, their maths, their medicine, their myths. He's learning about their astrology and their gods. They change his name to Daniel and they want to make him totally Babylonian. They make him an advisor to the king, so he's actually quite esteemed in Babylon. They make him an advisor, maybe a little bit like a foreign minister. But essentially, Babylon has one goal for Daniel. They want to cleanse God, his living God, from him. Cleanse it out of him and make him fully Babylonian. And I think this is a really powerful image because this is exactly what is happening to us. So Babylon in the Bible represents the world and the book of Revelation really explores that, uh, that theme. So when we look around, we live in a culture that basically wants to make us Babylonian. And any traces of a living God and what's true inside of you, the culture and effectively the devil are just trying to suck it out of us, suck out any trace of our living God. And once those traces of God are removed, our thinking, our ways of being, our decisions, our relationships, the way we view the world starts to become Babylonian and not of God. And this is exactly what was happening to Daniel. So here's Daniel. He's living in Babylon. He's an advisor to the king. He's got a lot to do. He's very busy. And he's all alone. He He doesn't have a whole lot of support around him. There's jealousy and envy, obviously, going on. The administrators and the satraps didn't like him. So people were out to do him harm and they trick him. They devise a kind of a test to trick Daniel. So the king makes this decree that if anyone doesn't bow down to him, they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. We know this story. But here's what Daniel does in verse 10. Three times a day he disobeys that decree. He knows the punishment is probably death, but he has such a relationship with his living God that he disobeys that decree three times a day. And immediately, he learns of the new decree. He immediately goes home, prays to his God as he was in the habit of doing. And I think we learn a really great lesson from Daniel. He had this lifelong habit of spending time with God, not just once a day, but three times a day. His activity and contemplation, big things, ball things, are in balance. We talk a lot here about reading the Bible and journaling, which is absolutely a value that we will continue to uphold, the value of scripture and meditating on it. This is a big value for Catalyst. But this daily office, I believe, has the potential to have an even bigger impact than our devotions and our quiet time. 
It's got the power to slow us down, to stop, to be with God and just to pause with him. Office in Latin literally means the work of God, which is the reason the name, they use the name daily office instead of just quiet time or devotions because it makes a distinction that in my office, my work is to seek God, it's to be with God. I really actually quite like this explanation that the first work for all of us in our lives is to seek God. comes out of Psalm 27 where David says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David recognises that this is his work, it's to seek God. So an office, a daily office, is about being with God, not getting from God, but seeking him. So that's why it doesn't matter what profession you hold, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a plumber, or a chippy, or a teacher, or a stay-at-home mom, or a lawyer, or a doctor, whatever profession you hold, it doesn't matter. Our primary job is to seek God and to be with him. It's our first work. So even if we change our professions, which a lot of us do quite regularly, we might change our profession, try something new in our everyday paid work, our first work, our first job never changes. Our first job as people of God is to seek him out. So here's the point of the discipline of a daily office. To be aware and present with God all throughout the day and to be conscious of God when I'm active, to develop that habit, that lifelong habit that Daniel had of redirecting, refocusing our minds, refocusing our uh, thoughts towards God, to being with him, so that when we, when we are active, we have this presence with him. We are, we are with him. We are communing with him, even when we're active. Scripture tells us to pray unceasingly, being aware of his presence. It means that I have to stop and pause at selected moments of the day so that when I'm active, I can be aware of his presence. So this is obviously what we talk about in Daniel, but you look at people like David, David wrote in Psalm 119, seven times a day, I praise you. Seven times. That's a lot. And David, so David had some kind of rhythm as a king. He would work, he would work, he would work, he would stop. He would praise God. He would cry out to God. Whatever it is that was in his day, he would express those emotions to God. Psalm 92, it says, It is good to praise the Lord, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. He had a rhythm, morning, evening, stopping. Psalm 55, evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He was stopping, he was pausing to be with God, to just seek God, to tell God of his emotions and then just to quiet himself and experience God's great love and faithfulness. And why is this so important for us? Well, we have a great advisor, mentor, here at Catalyst in the form of Russell Wright and he's going to come up and explain a little bit more about the importance of this stopping. So why don't you welcome Russ this morning. Thanks Jess. Hi everyone. It's um, good to hear you. It's, what Jess is saying is really vital and I hope my little segment can help reinforce that. You know, it really helped me understand when I, when I understood that I, I'm actually a spiritual being, an indestructible spiritual being inside a human suit. This human suit has um, feelings and thoughts that keep me distracting. 
keep distracting me through the day. But I'm here as a spiritual being on a mission. I've got a job every day that only God has designed me to do um, and a job every day. But because this spiritual, this human suit has feelings and a brain, it wants it speaks louder than the spiritual being. And I found my own spiritual growth, I have to keep on pushing myself out of the driver's yeah. seat and letting the Holy Spirit be in control and trusting that he knows what's best for me, not me trying to take control. No, you're, taking, you're going the wrong way. You're, you're taking too long. And so it's a perspective of trying to connect with God and our spiritual being, not letting our thoughts take that over. I just want to try a little experiment with you, if you wouldn't mind. If you wouldn't mind standing up, would that be all right? Just a short little experiment. And you all know what clockwise, the way clock, I know this digital age, but you know what clockwise is? You can just do a circle like this, big circle just facing you, and then run it towards the ceiling. So you're looking at the ceiling. Now, is it going clockwise? Yeah. Okay, get the clockwise. Now, keep that going and bring it down. Keep the circle going, bring it down, so you can actually see the ground through that circle. Well done. Which way does it look like it's going now? Going any clockwise? What? Okay, let's just try that again, How okay? Did that so, happen? So keep... Keep your finger pointing up, okay? Go clockwise. Keep it big circles. Keep it down. Oh, hold on, didn't work. Bring it down past. You tell me so you can see the ground through it. Can you see that it's going the opposite way? It looks Keep like it's going up. the opposite way. Okay, thank you. You can sit down now. Crazy. So if this can be the rhythm we're in, we're in time, we're in we're in rhythm with God, but as long as we're looking towards heaven. But as we bring that down and look at the worldly things and the insecurities and our fears, it actually, even though it's going the same way, it changes perspective. And what we intend to do uh, yeah. can be actually be the opposite of what we're trying to do. Just a, just a thought that as we do our daily office, it's connecting and keeping up here, not looking and, and working against ourselves. Thank you. That's good, Russ. Thank you. Great example. Great example of, you know, we get so caught up in our own perspective, in the way that we think uh, our world should go, and stopping in this daily office, stopping a few times a day just to get God's perspective is so important to help change our perspective about the things and the situations that we're facing. It allows God the space to speak into our lives, refocus us, give us direction, his perspective, instead of our own faulty wisdom. So the goal is always to be in communion with God all through the day. This notion of pausing to, pausing to be with God so that as you are active and doing your work, you are conscious of him and praying unceasingly. So practically, there's a variety of ways that you can go about doing the daily office um, and a variety of tools. It's not really so much about what you do as actually stopping and doing it. That's the hardest part. So I use the daily office remembering God's presence throughout the day. A lot of you will have that. You'll have had that in your packs for this series. It's eight weeks of daily offices. So um, it's a great tool. I have been using that. You could use a devotional book that you already have. You could pray through the Psalms. It doesn't really matter. It's not about what you do. It's not about how long it is. The point is to include two big elements, and that is scripture and silence. Now, it's going to look different for everyone because God speaks to us in very individual ways. So for some, it could just be walking outside at you know, lunchtime or early in the morning, whatever it might be. You walk outside and just breathe in God's presence and just allow him to just be with you. 
as you, uh, you know, worship him in the beauty of his majesty of creation and just taking some time out in that way. For others of us, it might be a little bit more legalistic, like setting an alarm and going and finding a quiet place just to sit and read through a psalm or something like that. Uh, whatever it is that works for you. And in a busy workplace, that can be challenging. Um, but one thing I have done is uh, gone to the toilet. Not to go to the toilet, but to be in the toilet because it's the only place that is quiet and to do my daily office there, which sounds odd. It's not the best ambiance, I know. But it is the only place that I can get away from the hustle and bustle of my workplace. So I have done that. I know I'm not the only one. It is sometimes the only place. And as a mother, it's a common place for me to be, just to be alone. So um, whatever works for you, you need to find what works for you. So again, those two key elements are communing with God in Scripture and just a bit of time in silence. Now let's talk about silence because it's easy to say, just be in silence with God, but maybe not so easy to do. So I've been doing this now for a few weeks and I have to admit it's still a struggle to be silent before God. I think as a culture, silence can be very awkward very quickly. We don't like it. We don't like when someone stops speaking. It can be awkward, right? It can be really awkward. So um, we need to just practice this discipline of silence. My mind goes a little bit nuts, but for the last few years, I have been slowly convinced of the value of this discipline. It's an ancient discipline. We have lost the ability to be silent. But the daily office recovers the contemplative dimension of the prayer of silence. And even if nothing else happens, which is often the case, I will just have silence. And I just believe that we will discover different dimensions of God through that silence. It's actually a very spiritual act to just be still and be silent, to be still and know that I am God. Because really, he's too big for our words. We keep talking to him, but he's, he's too big for our words. So we can discover more of him just by sitting in silence and being content with that. I think it's really an experience you need to have yourself to be able to understand it. It is something you need to work out, though. Obviously, a great enemy of silence is distraction. So, you know, if you imagine, here's what happens. It's midday, my alarm goes off. Okay, time to do my daily office. I'm going to go and be with God. I'm shutting down the computer. My phone is on silent. I'm going to go and sit and be still for five or ten minutes, just my time. I've been using the daily office book. It starts with two minutes of silence. So I'm going over to my chair. I have a chair at home that I just try and relax in. It's upstairs in my room, and I have a window in front of me so I can see out into my street. Hopefully they can't see me, but I'm just sitting in my chair. And I just start with my two minutes of silence. So here's what happens to me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just waiting on you. Waiting on you. Oh, I've got biscuits in the oven. I forgot to turn the oven off. Oh, that's annoying. Oh, well. That's okay. Kids are used to burnt biscuits. It's fine. Okay. Just sit and be still, Jessica. Just sit and be still. Can I please have Yes, of course, you can have something to eat. Go and get an apple. Can you get an apple? Can you get an apple? Can you get an apple for your sisters, please? Off you go. 
kids sit and be still. Thank you, Jesus, for silence. Wish I could lock my door. Never mind. Sit and be still. Oh, that highway is so noisy today. How can I be still with that highway noise? Oh, there's a car coming up the street. Maybe someone's visiting me. Oh, no, it's the neighbours. Okay, never mind. All right, Jesus, I'm just still with you. I'm still. Oh, what are those children yelling at? Stop yelling! Why are you yelling? I've told you to stop. I'm trying to be quiet. Okay, Jesus. Oh, that was a really bad parenting moment. That was awful. I was a really bad parent then, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Oh, my poor kids, they're going to grow up to be like... They're not going to know you. They're going to be, because of that, because I keep yelling at them. They're going to like be drug addicts and they're going to, you know, oh, Jesus, just be with them. God, thank you that you love them more than me. Help me with my parenting. Oh, I'm quiet. I'm still. I'm quiet. Thank you, Jesus. I'm waiting on you. Oh, I can smell those biscuits burning. I've got to go. I've got to go. So I know that's dramatic, but... It's not actually that far from the truth. This is what happens to me. Two minutes of silence, honestly, my mind goes in crazy tangents. And I know that I'm not alone in that because I have talked to some of you and I know that this is a struggle for all of us and it's still a struggle for me. I have learnt that as you go on, it does get a bit easier, but distractions still come in and that is okay. Distractions are okay. The point of it is to pull your mind back in and be refocused and re-centred before the Lord. It is a challenge. So ideally, we would stop a few times a day. First thing in the morning, in the middle of the day and in the evening, the last thing you do before you go to bed. Sometimes that two minutes of silence at night time can turn into eight hours. It's happen- I don't know if it's happened for you, but it has happened for me. To be honest, I find... Um, I am struggling to fit it all in, so I'm trying to work that out in my day, but I try and start my day at the moment with my devotions, with an increased element of silence, just practicing that discipline. My alarm does go off at midday, and I try and get some time by myself, and then in evening before I go to bed. It doesn't happen like that every day for me, but I don't beat myself up about it. We just try again the next day, and it's really just about remembering what's important, remembering just to you know, spend that time with God. The issue really isn't what you do. The issue is doing what works for you and connecting with God. And God doesn't care what time we pray, obviously. Whenever you pray, it's precious to God. But the daily office orders and structures your day around him, with him at the centre. It's a rhythm and it's a discipline to help us remember what's important in your life. So really the key out of all that is what do you need for rhythm in your day? You have to find a rhythm or you'll get swept up. It's a spiritual treasure that's been used for centuries and centuries as a gift, but we've lost the art of silence and solitude. And I believe the pressure on us is so great that we need something like it in our lives. My real concern for a lot of us is that most of us are living off other people's spirituality because we don't have enough time to develop our own direct experience with God. We have so much access to podcasts and books and even coming to church on a Sunday and hearing great teaching. They're all important. They all have a place. But part of us growing into emotionally healthy spiritual beings, spiritual adults, is for us to nourish individually our personal relationship with Jesus. So that's a daily office. It's the first discipline. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Our first work 
is to seek God. That is why we were created. So let's go to the second treasure, which is Sabbath keeping. So we've got this daily rhythm or office. Each day helps to renew us, to refresh us each day, remind us about why we are here on this earth so that we don't get swept off to Babylon. But we also need a weekly rhythm. And did you know there's actually a commandment in the Bible about this one? So just like we're commanded not to kill, steal, lie, all those things, we are also commanded to rest. Keeping the Sabbath is setting aside a 24-hour chunk of time. And Jews have done this for 3,500 years. They set aside from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Um, And God declares it holy. It's set apart. It's the first thing that's called holy in the scriptures. In Genesis 2, this 24-hour period of time is called holy. It's about stopping. And it's a structure for building a rhythm into your life to do nothing for one day a week. First and foremost, it's a day of stopping. And interestingly, Jewish rabbis will tell you that without this fourth commandment, which we're about to read, which is also the longest commandment, you actually can't do the other nine effectively. So Exodus 20, when we're reading about the commandments, reads, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's different to a day off, has certain qualities about it. On it you shall do... You shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy when, um, you know, it's based on the fact that you were a slave in Egypt, but now you're free. So you have to work and you did work, but now we're in this period of grace, in this period of resting. And so what I want you to notice first is the Sabbath rhythm that our life again, we've talked about it, is work and rest, work and rest. And the fact that this is a command and not a suggestion, God commands that you have rhythm in your life. You're not just a doing machine. And when we violate this commandment, we're sinning against ourselves because the Sabbath was made as a gift for us. Jesus kept talking about that. He brought it out. He says the Sabbath wasn't made for God. It was made for you, for humanity. In Mark 2, he tells us the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a blessing because you were made in God's image and God stopped and rested. And you need to do the same. You work and you're active, but you need a rhythm during your week to stop and do nothing. Activity, 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 stopping for contemplation. And just rest in the fact of God's grace and love for you. And it's a gift from God and we're called to imitate him. And although it's a commandment, God really does command us to do this, it is this gift. I don't want us to lose sight of that. It needs to work for us. And we talk about it being a 24-hour chunk of time, and ideally, yes, that's what it would be. But for some of us, maybe we need to start small and just set aside a morning or a 7 p.m. at night to 7 a.m. in the morning when we're asleep for most of the time, but we've got a night to just really devote to the Lord. Whatever it might be to get us into this mode of resting for the Lord. It's a deliberate act. It has to be intentional. A period of time that I'm going to deliberately not do anything. It's permission to be lazy, to stop. We don't get that permission very often. We get the other. We we have to do, we have to work, we have to do more. But God is saying, I'm giving you permission to stop. You need to stop. I'm not going to accomplish any goals. I'm not going to reach any great heights on this day. I'm going to do nothing and experience God's grace and love. It's about self-care 
on the Sabbath. We stop. We let go. We let God take care of us. We do what gives us light and joy and peace and space. Our culture tells us that we are what we do. If we don't have a Sabbath, we're actually buying into that lie and we think that our work really is who we are. We need Sabbaths to get us centred and oriented that my life is not my work. I am not what I do. My life is God. My value is in God and it's not about my performance. For some of us, we just go, go, go. It's really hard to have that time off. One day is blurring into the next. We're squeezing stuff in everywhere and I have been in this place and still get trapped into it where I have no margin in my day or my week. You're going to run out of time eventually. You've got so much stuff to do. But God says, no, I love you too much for that kind of lifestyle for you. I'm commanding you. You just need to rest. Find some time in your week where you can rest. Start somewhere. So there's four qualities to Sabbath keeping. The first one, very simply, is that you stop. You stop for a 24-hour period, ideally, but whatever you need to do just to get started, you stop. And secondly, you rest. Again, it's a day off. You need to have other time off, by the way, where you can do the mowing and the mopping and whatever else that you couldn't fit into your working week. So it's not that kind of a day. It's not a day where you just get all your chores at home done. It really, truly is a day of stopping and resting. And that, I know, is a challenge. Some of you are going, I don't know when that is going to be because it's a challenge. But again, it's not supposed to be this oppressive burden. And, you know, God, God talks about it in the Bible. He's commanding us to do it. So I just truly believe that if we're intentional about it and we're trying to do it, if we're really wanting to honour God in this way, that he is going to help make a way. He will bless that try, that effort that we're putting in, and he will help make a way in our week for us to rest and be with him. It's a holy thing. He considers it holy. Our culture, again, doesn't know anything about setting aside time to stop and rest. It's always been one of the distinctions, actually, of God's people throughout history that they actually trust God enough to let him just sit on the throne and be God, to rule the world, and we can have a Sabbath. And so I rest from my multitasking, I rest from my work, I rest from my to-do list, and I trust God. And I think that's the core issue of the Sabbath, is the trusting God. The fact that I am limited, but God's God, and I'm not, and I have to let go. Thirdly, we delight. We delight in life. We're delighting in creation, her gifts, her food, people, music, playfulness, family. Just being with God, delighting in the blessings that he's given us. And then fourthly, we contemplate. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate. I remember what God has done in my life. I remember how good, how far he's brought me. I remember his faithfulness, his goodness, his blessings in my life. So the Sabbath is actually quite radical. It was radic- it's radical now. It was radical in biblical times. The Jews, you know, they were in slavery in Egypt for four, more than 400 years. God brought them out. They're in the wilderness. And then he sent Moses up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He brought them down. And all of a sudden... God's commanding them to rest, that it was foreign to them. They didn't know about this rest concept. And it's foreign to us. It was difficult for them to trust that God would look after their needs. And it's difficult for us. It goes against our culture. And even for some of us, it goes against what we've been taught in our Christian world. To stop, to rest, to delight and to contemplate. So again, the practicalities 
What day of the week? Well, it's going to be different. It's going to be different for each one of us. For some of us, probably most of us, it might be a Sunday or Saturday night to Sunday night or all day Sunday or a portion of Sunday, whatever it is that's going to work for you. It just needs to be a time when you can do it. For shift workers, it's going to be entirely different and probably different week to week. But again, it's about the intentionality behind it. For us as a family, we uh, choose Friday lunchtime to Saturday lunchtime. Um, so the kids get home from school at three and we really try and make it that Friday night a really fun family time. So we will do different things. We'll take them out for afternoon tea. Um, we might just go back home and watch a movie or we'll um, have easy dinner, something I can shove in the oven and pull out. Um, we're working on the clean-up, having everybody involved and making that fun, still working on that. Um, so that it's not all work for me, but obviously there's elements of you know, things that need to be done. But trying to make it fun, trying to make it family time. We sleep in Saturday mornings, we just kind of do whatever. I'll go for a bike ride because I really enjoy that. And then we'll come home, have breakfast together and just continue um, our morning together. That's what it looks like for us. It gets disrupted at different times. Can't might have to work on the Friday. And so he's not home in the afternoon. But we just make it work. We'll start then Friday night. doesn't really matter. Again, the point is, what can you do to start this discipline? So, again, it's not an oppressive obligation to do. It's a gift to us. It's a gift that God wants us to enjoy and rest be with our friends and family, do what brings us space and joy and light. So in summary, the daily office really is like a mini Sabbath every day and I believe it has a capacity to slow us down, get us to stop, change our perspective and be still before the Lord on a daily basis and then keeping the Sabbath for a whole day on a weekly basis. But can I warn you, these disciplines do not come easy and they do not easily stay. You need to keep working at it. Or it will be a nice idea that I tried three years ago, but it didn't really work for me. It will work for you if you keep working at it. And so then even when tidal waves come in, things hit your life, or people come into your life like a crazy tornado, you need to see that it's their lifestyle. It's not ours. I don't have to compare myself. I don't have to do what they do, just like Daniel did. You need to be able to say, look, I'm going to take the initiative like Jesus, Jesus got away from the crowds. He spent time alone with the Father to pray. We need to be a lot more assertive in our lives about our time, about how we do our weeks and our days. We need to build a rhythm into our everyday, into our weeks, so that we can handle the things of life that are going to come our way. Because the power of the devil in our culture is so great that he will end up sweeping us off our feet if we can't stay connected to our living God. So these two gifts really are treasures to us, the daily office and the Sabbath. They have that capacity to slow us down, to help us be with God, to balance up that activity and the contemplation, communing with him, fellowshipping with him. So in closing, I really would like to take the time to engage in this practice of the daily office together. We're going to practice this, the art of silence, which will be a challenge for some of us. Um, but there's a couple of things that we can do just to get us ready to be in this zone. So being comfortable in your seat is one thing. So can I encourage you to engage with me through this? Just get comfortable into your seat. It's just going to take a couple of minutes. I'm going to sit in my chair. Relax and be comfortable. Be attentive and open. What are you laughing at? No? Oh, it's all right. Okay, you can see me? doesn't really matter. 
Be attentive and open. We're going to walk through a daily office. So be comfortable, be relaxed. Now, one thing I have found when I'm starting to just try and focus in is just to concentrate on my breathing, breathing in and breathing out. I will sometimes say just the word Jesus over and over again. Some people say a prayer. Some people just kind of say a verse over and over like, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. I wait for the Lord just to focus us in. And remember, distractions are okay. So we're going to do a minute silence. Distractions are okay. Just keep disciplining your mind to bring it back. I wait on the Lord. Jesus, whatever you need to do just to bring your mind back in and refocus. So, are you ready? We're going to start with a minute silence and then I'm going to just walk you through some scripture and some prayer. All right, so let's take a deep breath, relax, be still before the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Lord, we come before you right now to just stop and rest in your presence. We thank you for the privilege of stopping and that you desire to have us just be with you. So we're going to read aloud together. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore some silence. Wait on the Lord. Let's read aloud together. I will lure you into the desert and there I will speak to your heart. Let's read aloud together. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you.
Let's pray aloud together now. Father, you have created us for a rhythm of life and so we pray that you would impart to us power from heaven to discern our unique rhythms, each one of us, on a daily basis and a weekly basis, that our lives would be about you, that you will be the centre and our rock and our fortress and that our life would be one of deep, intimate communion with you. Help us be in the world, but not of it, and to really become, each one of us, our unique self, that the love that we give the world around us would be your love, and not our human love, but the very love of Jesus. In his name, amen.